Aren't you glad that that's not just a song, that's a reality. Amen. What a day that will be. You know, sometimes when we look at that day, as we uh, see it through the eyes of the present, it's um, a little intimidating for us, isn't it? Because we don't know exactly what that day will be like. And sometimes we're a little bit concerned about taking that next step into that next life. Amen? A little worried about that, a little concerned that maybe when the Lord comes back, you know, and uh, what will it really be like? But let me tell you, He's coming back. Yes. And boy, I'll tell you what, it'll be well worth, well worth putting your faith in Him and trust in Him and living your life for Him. Well, you know, we're in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. We've been there for quite a while. But uh, again, we've been working through that chapter and if you can, you may want to turn there. We're going to read just a few verses beginning in verse 10. We're going to read right through the chapter uh, to the rest, through the rest of that chapter. But 1 Timothy chapter 6, and again, we're dealing with Timothy, and uh, we're dealing with Paul, and what a great uh, tandem or duo they made. And of course, we know that Timothy was Paul's son in the faith, and of course, uh, Paul was his spiritual father in the faith, and that's a wonderful thing. But uh, here we read in chapter 6, verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his time he shall shew, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they... Be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. O chapter 6, we... Got started on that chapter, been moving right along, and we kind of settled into that First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, where it says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Along the way, we noted that Paul instructed Timothy to flee the love of money, but instead to follow those six words that describe the character of Christ Himself, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. These are some of the same qualities that obviously every single Christian ought to possess. They should describe you and they should describe me tonight. 
those six qualities. Why? Because that's Christ-likeness then. And that's exactly what we're called to be is Christ-like. I'm sad to say that in many cases, I, I think we've kind of lost sight of that. You know, we've kind of fell prey to this idea that I'm a good enough Christian. I'm doing all right. I, I read my Bible and I'm praying and I'm going to church when I ought to. But, I mean, the fruit of the Spirit, I mean, literally the qualities and characteristics of Christ, well, yeah, those are a little pie in the sky. I mean, those are a little out of reach. They're not very practical and, and probably not something that we're going to obtain to anyway. But that's not true at all, is it? The reality is that we have Christ living in us. The hope of glory. We have Jesus in us. There's no reason in the world why we cannot overcome the flesh and live victoriously today. And so we ought to demonstrate and we ought to reflect the qualities and characteristics of Jesus Himself. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. If we follow after all six of those characteristics, we'll find that we have effectively fled from the love of money then. And so, he goes on to tell Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6.12, not only are you to flee and to follow after some things, but you're to fight the good fight of faith. He says, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Well, before we continue, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this opportunity that we have to gather tonight. And Lord, in these next few moments, Father, may our hearts be stirred and encouraged and inspired, Lord, to live a more effective Christian life for you. Lord, may we not waste our time tonight. How sad it would be to show up here, Lord, and just to simply go through the motions and walk out the door without being moved by you and ultimately changed. How sad it would be, Lord, to show up here today and simply be moved, but not be changed. God of heaven, help us, Lord, tonight to truly take to heart these precious words found in your book, the Word of God. And may we not only learn them, but may we live them. Well, thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So he says, he challenges Timothy now in verse 12. He challenges Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. And the word used for fight here is one connected with basically the public games or the Olympic games, if you will. And it, it, it literally means here to strive as in a contest for the prize. To strive as if in a contest for the prize. Now, Paul knew a lot about the, uh, the, the Greek games. I mean, he himself was basically from Tarsus, we know, a city of Asia Minor. Timothy knew something about it, I would imagine. I mean, his father was Greek, the Bible tells us. So he was very familiar, I would imagine, with these games. He had heard about them. His dad probably talked about them often. I mean, think about us just with like football or with baseball and some of the sports that we have in our community and around our, our world and how much we make them such a big deal. I mean, we have them everywhere and all around us. I mean, if you, you like college football, uh, great. You don't have to like pro. But if you like pro, you don't have to like college. And you've got high school football and high school sports. You've got intramural sports. We've got sports everywhere, all kinds of different sports. And yet people are extremely interested in all of them, it seems. Here's the truth. What if there was only one real sport, one real outing? 
I got to believe that everybody knew about this one and everybody talked about this one and it was a big deal. And so I'm sure that when the Apostle Paul begins to say, fight the good fight of faith, I got to believe that Timothy understood what he was getting at. He understood that he was dealing with those fighters that would enter the ring and they would fight sometimes even next to or close to death. Timothy knew as a result of what the Apostle Paul was saying that this wasn't going to be a walk in the park thing. It wasn't going to be a bed of roses. It was going to be a warfare and a warfare that he never would retire from. And, you know, we, un- we understand that reality, I hope. I- I'm-, I'm fearful, too, as we get older, we have a tendency to want to relax and rest. You know, well, that was, when I was younger, I, I taught Sunday school. When I was younger, I went soul winning. When I was younger, I was involved in, in all kinds of things. But now as I get older, I'm going to leave it to the young people. Oh. I'm getting older, and I'm tired, and I'm weary, and it just, all I can do just to go to work and go home. This feels really good. I stayed up till 3 in the morning watching that stuff last night. And then I was there first thing in the morning and I've been working since. And that felt really good. But isn't that a temptation as we get old? I mean, really, we, we long for retirement. What are, we, what are we really saying when we long for retirement? We're saying, I long to finally be able to kick back, relax, and do what I want and not be under a time restraint or schedule of any kind. I want to do what I want to do. The only problem is you've been bought with a price. You're not your own. And you know what? This warfare that we're involved in spiritually never ends. It's continuous, it's constant, it's perpetual, it's always going. We can never get to the place where we say, I'm, I'm just going to sit on the sidelines. I'm going to take a nap from the war. It doesn't quite work that way. Because whether you do or don't fight in it, you're still in the midst of it all. Paul would go on now, though. He continues in the passage, fight the good fight of faith. He says, lay hold on eternal life. The word translated lay hold on here could also be rendered or you could say it like this. You could say keep your grip on. Lay hold on. Keep your grip on to eternal life. Years ago when I was a a lot younger than I am now, I was uh, uh, just getting ready to start the uh, the church and and, uh, a a man in our church, he had a glass company where we were attending at the time and and uh, I had begun, I was working on my day off there at the glass company. And so when I wasn't at the church, I was at the glass company that one day a week. And, and uh, so when, when I got time to, to begin the ministry and I, I, I left that church to start Community Baptist Temple, he said, well, I'll hire you on and I'll go ahead and you can work for us. Uh, you know, you, you do a good job when you're here one day a week. I'm glad to have you all the time throughout the week. And so I said, man, that'd be great. And so I, I worked there for two weeks. That's all I worked before I was laid off. It wasn't because I was a bad worker either. But hold on. Here's what it was. Here's, it, let me tell you a story that happened to me, though. I was up in Stowe, and we were working at Eddie's Bike Shop. We were putting in these big windows. They had these big, you know how you walk by a, a retail store, and they've got those huge pane, double-pane windows. Well, we were putting 
double pane windows in at Eddie's bike shop. And I believe the window we were putting in was at least a six by eight. It was at least six by eight foot. May have been eight by six. I don't know how we were putting it in. I can't remember. All I remember is when I was holding it, it was above my head, even just holding it here. And I, I mean, I'm not that tall, so it had to be no more, probably no around six feet at least. But I remember holding it and, you know, you're holding that stuff up and we're carrying it along and and uh, actually, I had it this way. I can still remember. And uh, as we're carrying it along, you know, you have to be real careful with glass like that. Now, glass, it's one thing. You, you could put glass. You could hit it on the edge. You could hit, hit it on the, in the middle right here. Probably no problem. But if you hit the edge of that glass, it's real prone to, to, to breaking. Uh, and, and, and the problem is with glass that's that size, it doesn't just shatter. It, it actually just, it like, just severs. It's like, and then just falls. I mean, it'll just slice your arm off, slice your hand off, slice your finger off. I mean, it's bad stuff. So I'm holding this glass, and we're carrying it along. And I mean, it weighs. It's heavy. I mean, you've got to imagine two, at least, a, it was two quarter inch pieces or three eighths inch pieces of glass, double pane, six by eight. It's heavy. We're carrying it. And, and I remember still, I remember going, hey, it, it, it's slipping. It's slipping. And I said, we got to put it down. And right then, <laughs> I mean, that pane of glass just broke straight across. Oh, man, I was just happy it didn't like, you know. I mean, a big old piece. I don't know how much that glass cost. And I remember saying it, I felt horrible. And he goes, ah, just glass. <laughs> I'm thinking, man, dude, you could probably pay me two weeks with what that one piece of glass cost. But the problem was I, I was struggling to keep my grip on it. I was working on keeping my grip. I was trying to lay hold on that thing. But it slipped. Let me tell you something. You think that holding a piece of glass that size would be hard to lay hold on to or to keep from slipping? Let me tell you something. What we deal with every day of our Christian life is much more difficult to lay hold on to. To keep your grip on it. Do you realize that? I mean, we, we, we cannot downplay the difficulty and the battle that it, re, that it requires to maintain our faith. He says, lay hold on eternal life. If you're going to do that, it's not going to happen just simply because you go to church a couple of times a week. I mean, we have a Bible that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to us. It is His precious book, and it's His Word. We're going to have to spend some time in this book. We're going to have to study the Word of God, and we're going to have to meditate on the Word of God if we truly want to lay hold on to some things. And in this case, he tells Timothy to lay hold on eternal life. Again, what he's really saying to Timothy is he's saying, listen, Timothy, you need to lay hold on to the... To, you need to... Not just know the Word of God. You've got to appropriate the benefits, the privileges. You've got to appropriate the responsibilities of, 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 of eternal life. You've been given eternal life. It's yours, for the, it's yours for the asking. You've received it now. Now you have to appropriate that life. You have to live that life. You've got to allow it to affect your daily walk. And how many Christians do we talk to? They answer the door and you ask them, you know, after you've introduced yourself, after you spend a few moments talking to them about whatever it may be, and eventually you get to the place where you say, now listen, uh, 
I want to just thank you for the time that you know, you've given us and opportunity you've given just to talk for a minute. But before I go, I really uh, want to ask you, you know, a very important question. I'm just kind of curious. Let me ask you this. If something would happen to you, God forbid, are you 100% sure you'd spend eternity? And they'll say, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I think heaven. You go, well, how, can I ask you, not too many people, you know, really have that nailed down. Not too many people know that for sure, and you say you think you'll be there. Well, why do you think that? How can you have any confidence at all when so many people have none? And they say, well, because I, when I was a teenager, I invited Jesus Christ into my life. And Oh, okay, you invited the Lord into your life, huh? Yeah, well, I, I prayed and asked Him to save me. And you go, wow, that's, that's wonderful. So where are you going to church now? Oh, well, I don't really go to church. Hmm, okay. You know what happened? They may have laid hold on to eternal life in one regard, but they haven't appropriated the Christian life. They haven't appropriated their eternal life. Now, I hope they're saved, and I hope they know the Lord is their Savior, but the fact is they're not living out their faith. You have eternal life, but that eternal life translates into a victorious life today. And that's what the Apostle Paul's telling Timothy. He's saying, listen, there's going to be a battle here. Yeah, you've got to be careful that you don't get caught up in the things of this world, that you don't permit the love of money and the, of the, the pursuit of material gain to, to just totally consume your thought, your mind, and your, your focus. Instead, you're going to have to flee from those things, and you're going to have to follow after some things. And in the end, you're going to have to fight the good fight of faith if you're going to truly appropriate that life that you received when you invited Christ into you. Paul knew that Timothy was up against it in Ephesus. He knew he was going to have his battles, that's for sure. Paul himself had been up against it a few times, hadn't he? You think about Galatia or Jerusalem. You think about Corinth. We could go to, I mean, all these different cities in which he preached and taught. He knew what it was to have those that opposed him and his position. Timothy would have to fight. Paul was a fighter, and Timothy had to become a fighter if he was going to ultimately succeed in this thing called the ministry. And you know, you don't... <laughs> You don't just have to be a fighter to be in the ministry, standing behind a pulpit and preaching, because the reality is we're all in the ministry. We all need to have courage, and we all need to have fight, and every one of us need to be a fighter. As a matter of fact, we know that in 1 Peter 5, 8, the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So the Apostle Paul is trying to encourage this young man in the faith, this protege of his. And, you know, that's what we all need, don't we? Some encouragement to stay in the battle, stay in the fight. Because you're in it. And you're in it for the long haul. There's nobody more miserable in this world than a backslidden Christian. You look at somebody that's ever tasted the Christian life, that really knows what it is, and they are no longer 
consistently faithful, consistently yielded and submitted to Christ, they're miserable. Oh, they may appear to have it all going and they may seem to have what the world says is success, but the reality is, is that in their heart, as Brother Van Horn had mentioned, there's that, that something missing. Oh, they may have Christ living in them, but they're not appropriating their eternal life. We have such an untapped resource in the Spirit of God today. Then he goes on, the Apostle Paul again. He goes on to say, I give thee charge in the sight of God. Timothy, I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. Again, Paul's going to give him a fresh charge, a new charge. It seems like every time we turn around, Paul's telling him, charging him to do something commanded him to do something. I mean, I can imagine that Timothy at times, if he was like most of us, and, and I'm, I'm not sure where he was on some things, but he'd probably be like, man, every time I turn around, he's telling me to do something else. It's one more thing I got to do, one more thing that's required of me. It's sad, isn't it, when Christians get there, isn't it? When all of a sudden, doing the things of the Lord, whenever serving Jesus Christ or Separating ourselves from sin becomes a chore. That's a sad place to be. Timothy here is being told now. He's being challenged. He's being charged. And, and Paul knew there was a job to be done in Ephesus. And Paul would like to have been there in person, I'm sure. i got to believe Paul was a hands-on guy i got to believe that Paul wanted to do the ministry. I mean, he had been doing it from the time that he met the Lord Jesus Christ on that road to Damascus. Uh, Damascus. And, and the fact is, is that, that every time he could, he wanted to witness to somebody, he wanted to train somebody, he wanted to build another church. But he couldn't be in Ephesus. Paul couldn't do the work of God in Ephesus. It was impossible. So... He sent Timothy. You know, last week we stated or said that there would never have been a Timothy without a Paul. Never. There would never have been a Timothy without a Paul. But today, I want to note that the ministry of Paul would not have had the impact it did without a Timothy. Now, Although Paul may have wanted to be there in person and perform the work of the ministry himself, he was limited in his time and his energy. Couldn't do it. It's just simply impossible. He could only do so much, and that's where Timothy came in, of course. That's why Timothy was so valuable and so important. I'm not sure, or should I say I'm really positive, really, I am sure, that there were those in Ephesus that weren't very happy that Paul didn't come himself. I bet you they weren't very happy that he had sent a young man to rule over the church instead of himself. I can only imagine that there were those that didn't necessarily appreciate that it was Timothy who was preaching. Or Timothy that was organizing and planning and promoting. That it was Timothy who was making the hospital visits and the follow-up calls and handling the finances. I'm sure there were those that did not appreciate that it wasn't the Apostle Paul himself. I got to believe that. 
because I understand human nature. Paul had experienced the manifold blessings of God in his life and his ministry. And with that blessing and with that constant growth and that constant increased responsibility, he was forced to send Timothy in his place in order to further impact and influence the gospel. Why do I bring this up? Naturally, everybody would rather have the pastor take their call. Visit them in the hospital. Baptize them. Marry them. Bury them. And be available at all times for them. Yet there's a reality that cannot be overlooked here. If you're so blessed to have a pastor that God is honoring and be a part of a ministry that is growing and impacting its community for Christ, then there are going to be times when a Timothy must be sent. You get that? A Timothy's going to have to be sent sometimes. Because Paul can't always show up. It doesn't mean Paul doesn't want to be there. It doesn't mean that the pastor doesn't want to be the one that does all those things for you and is in there and, and has, you know, you have his ear at all times. That's not the issue. It has nothing to do with he loves him, but he doesn't love me, and he likes them more than he likes me, and blah, 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 blah. My family's not, that our family doesn't raid apparently because he did that one, but he won't do ours, and he visited so-and-so at the hospital, but he didn't visit me, and it has nothing to do with that at all. It's just that unfortunately, if a Paul is blessed by God and things begin to increase and responsibility increases and time demand increases, and then sometimes a Timothy is absolutely necessary and will have to be sent. And even in a church where everything is small, a Timothy is absolutely necessary right. if a pastor wants to continue his legacy in the ministry. Now, I don't know about you, but we have children, and there's one thing about a child. It, it seems that even today, in spite of the fact that boys get beat up by girls all the time, and girls are better football players and baseball players, and girls are better at everything than boys are today, according to the media, Every guy still wants a boy. Why do they want boys? They want their name to what? They want to leave a legacy. I, I believe there's an element of a legacy in a, a girl. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But there's something about a guy, he says, and I was being facetious about all that other stuff. There's not one woman in this room that could beat me in arm wrestling. But anyway, uh, at least I don't think so. I'm, I'm looking around real quick. I just got nervous. I was watching this one show the other day for just about 10 minutes. Man, these girls, I'm not joking, these girls look like men. I've never seen nothing like it in my life. I was so intrigued by it, I watched it a while. I mean, I thought I was watching myself. I mean, they, from the behind, literally, they had, you know, lats going like this and pecs. They had biceps. They had 
these things, I mean, their arms were huge. I'm not joking. Watch this. On the ground was this round thing. It was like a, have you ever seen a, um, a hacky sack ball? Kind of filled with sand or something and you kick it around. But this was 100 pounds. This round thing in like leather, 100 pounds in it. And it was, it, they'd grab it with their hands and flip it over their back, turn around and flip it over their back, turn around, flip. They'd do it 30 times. 30 times. Can you imagine? 30 times. Is that still working? 30 times. That's amazing. Isn't that something? Oh, that's why it's not working. All right, there we go. So they had to do that 30 times. And then these, these girls, girls, had to... Hundred and sixty nine pounds twelve times. Hold on. Put twenty more pounds, one eighty nine, do it for eight times. Put on twenty more pounds, do it for six times. I've never seen nothing like it in my life. I would not want to fight one of them girls. No way. No. I mean I'm all about being macho and all, but no, I'm not about getting hurt. I'm not about that at all. It's so amazing. But anyway, I have no idea what I'm talking about here, but... I'll find my spot here in a minute. So, I have no idea what I'm telling you that for, but anyway, where there's a Paul, there has to be a Timothy, so forth, so on. Now... That's all right, legacies. We're moving on because we got to move quickly. <laughs> so you got that. Hey, you want to leave a legacy? Well, guess what? Every preacher wants to leave a legacy too. Hey, it's a family. So we're trying to leave children behind to do the work. And it doesn't just have to be people that are going into the ministry. It's those that are doing the ministry. Now, not only that, but the Apostle Paul makes a statement here. He goes on in the passage to say, I give thee charge in the sight of God. So he makes this charge. He gives this command to Timothy. But now he also says, in the sight of God. So here's the thing. Paul can't be with Timothy. And I'm sure that for Timothy, that was intimidating. You're going to go to Ephesus where there are those that have been Christian for quite some time. There are those that have been, are grounded in the faith. There are those that have a tremendous amount of Bible knowledge and understanding. And you're going to have to rule them. You're going to have to pastor them. You're going to have to lead them. And Timothy's like, wow, you showing up? You're going to help me out? Well, I've helped you all I can now. You just go. And Paul says this. Paul says, I give thee charge in the sight of God. You know what he's saying? You're going with God's presence. I can't go and nor can I be there. It's impossible for me to be there, but I'm sending you in my stead and God will be with you. You know that God's presence is a game changer? You know it was a game changer in the life of Joshua? In Joshua chapter 1 verse 9 Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. 
Here's Joshua now just receiving the command of the children of Israel from Moses. He's now leading millions of people. I don't know about you, but I would be humbled and I would be extremely concerned about my ability to lead with that many if I was all by myself and alone. But see, the thing is, is that God was with Joshua. And the Lord said, don't, you don't have to be worried. I'm with thee. I'm with thee. Don't be concerned. Don't be dismayed. Don't be worried. Don't fret. Don't get all bent out of shape. I'm with you. Not only that, but God's presence was a game changer in the life of Jeremiah the prophet. In Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 8, the word of the Lord says, Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. I can't do it, Lord. I mean, that job you're asking me to do, that task that you've given me, it's too grand, it's too great, it's too overwhelming. I'll never be able to accomplish what you've called me to do. And he says, what in the world are you worried about? I'm with you. Well, wait a second. Let's bring it to where you and I live today. I mean, the fact is today is that the Bible tells us that Christ lives in us. He's with us always. Wait a second. He tells us to reach a world with the gospel. That means right there, stand up, would you, sir? That means that this young man right here is responsible to reach the world for Jesus Christ. It's not just a matter of what church is responsible to reach the world for Jesus Christ. No, he is. You say, I don't believe it. Well, when he gave it to the apostles, he told them that they're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Guess what? He told that, you say, to the church. That's right. Who makes up the church? You, 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 you. Therefore, you're responsible just like I am. That's why you need to participate in this. You've got to participate in this. That's why you've got to take steps to reproduce yourself in the life of others. That's why you have to be a Paul and you have to find a Timothy because you're responsible to reach the world. And the only way you reach the world is by reaching one person. And then they reach another. And then they reach another. Can you imagine if the Apostle Paul would have not led anybody to Christ? We wouldn't be sitting here. And you say, well, the Apostle Paul had a lot of help. The Apostle Paul was a one-man wrecking crew. And man, he met the need in so many lives, and those lives went out and met the need in others' lives, and they met the need in others' lives, and that's what that one young man can do. See, he has to have a world vision. It's not enough for him just to see his friend at school. He's got to recognize that he has to see the world. How can I reach the world? That's what God wants from every one of us in this place. Maybe seated. That's the reality of it. And you want to know why we're failing in the Christian life? Why we're failing to reach the world with the gospel? Because we have this mentality that it's my job to reach just my family and my friends. No, it's your job to reach the world. And so is my job to reach the world. And you want to know something? He says, it's not too big a task for you either. He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Well, I don't, I'll tell you what, some of them young people at the church, they got this funny idea they're going to reach the world for Christ. <laughs> Bunch of pie-in-the-sky thinkers, they Wait till they get in the real world. (laughs) They'll realize nobody wants to hear their junk. 
How sad that is. How pitiful that is. Hey, wait, last time I checked, he's with him always. Even unto the end of the what? World. So God doesn't limit him. We do. We do. Hey, the presence of the Lord is a game changer. When you really get to the place where you are confident Christ is with you always, it'll change how you live. It'll change how you give. It'll change how you go. It'll change every aspect of your life when you really believe that reality. And he tells Timothy, he says, I give thee charge in the sight of God. Timothy, you got to flee from the love of money and the pursuit of material things. You have to follow after some things, Timothy. And you have to fight the good fight of faith. But let me tell you something, Timothy. Don't you ever forget this. God is with you. And may we never forget that truth. Because when we forget that truth, we lose hope. And we are not effective, nor are we able to accomplish what God's called us to do if we fail to realize His presence is with us and it's a game changer. Father, we come to You. We thank You again, Lord, just for all that You mean to us. And Father, for just the blessings that You bestow upon us. We're glad that every good gift cometh down from the Father of lights. Thank You, Lord, for every good thing. Lord, for the things that we would consider bad, we know, Lord, that if You'll use them for good,